welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. We're back in the book of Hosea today. If you've not joined us the past couple of weeks, you may have a hard time finding that. There's an uh, um, area in the front of your Bible that will tell you exactly where to find that. There is no shame in that going to Hosea. You know, I kind of marvel, I'm like at that age now where I'm starting to be an old person and I talk about how much things have changed and I say things like back in my day and, and I was thinking today of the way that it's changed how we travel. Uh, I went and when I was 18, immediately after I graduated high school, I made my way halfway across the country with nothing but a map, a truck with bald tires and a rowdy friend. Today, I can't even find a restaurant in Little Rock without putting it in my phone. I don't know what has changed since then. Actually, actually, I do know what has changed since then. The GPS has ruined us on going places. Now, modern day, I think most of us can put that in our phones, and, and that will guide us around. I hardly ever go anywhere without my phone directing me. Um, just, you know, men, we've always, we've always whined about how our wives try to direct us, but we'll let the woman on our phone direct us. That's kind of weird. But anyway, it, it, it's a change. About 10 years ago, they came out with a little person personal GPSs before smartphones were popular. There was Garmin and there was TomTom. And these GPSs, you put them up on your windshield and you could put in your address and they'd tell you where to go. And these became so popular that you could customize them. And the way that you could customize them is you could download different people's voices to direct you. So if you wanted Bugs Bunny to tell you where to go, you could get the voice of Bugs Bunny telling you where to go. If you wanted somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger to very angrily tell you that you missed a turn, you could get that. But I was poor. So with my little Garmin, I could not get any of the bot voices, I had to go to the dark reaches of the internet and find the free bootleg ones that would go online. And the only thing that I could find that I thought was cool at the time was the Yeti voice. If you don't know what a Yeti is, it's a snow Bigfoot. That's what that is. And so the Yeti voice didn't actually tell you anything. It just grunted at you. So it'd be like, Ooh, ah. that meant turn left. It'd be like, Ooh, ah. that meant turn right. But when you missed a turn, it'd go, ah. That meant turn around, you idiot. That's what that meant. And so this GPS was always telling me where to go. But what I found with it is that it was the loudest at the time that it wanted me to turn around. It was the loudest when, it, when I had missed my turn. Now, as humans, we get off track. And we need something to guide us. And that's why God sent us the Bible. And what I found with the Bible is it seems like there are times when the Bible is like shouting at me. Like I'll read it and I just want to slam it shut because it's shouting at me. It's like I don't want to be shouted at. But when the Bible's shouting at you, when the Bible's yelling at you, when, when the Word of God is yelling at you, what it's telling you is telling you that you are off track and it's time to turn around and go back the way that you came. As we look at, at the book of Hosea here, we're going to find a few things that tell us to turn around. The book of Hosea gives us a picture of two things that are very important to knowing what it means to be a Christian. Thing number one is it gives us a very clear picture of what our sin is and what it looks like and how our sin relates us to God. Picture number two it gives us is how much God loves us in spite of our sin. Two weeks ago, or last, no, two weeks ago, last time we met, we talked about the cycle of restoration, where, where the people went through this cycle where they would sin and that would break their relationship with God. There would be a punishment, but through the act of God, we could be restored with him. And Hosea tells us about this five separate times. 
In chapter one, God gave us a picture of what our sin looks like by having Hosea marry a prostitute and have children with her. So give us a picture of what it's like for God who is holy and perfect to marry us who are broken. And as we start chapter two today, God is gonna give us a picture of his hurt because of our sin. Chapter two is an emotional outpour of God in the context of what it would be like to be a man or a husband married to a cheating and adultery, uh, adulterous spouse. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to read the first five verses of chapter two as God uses this context of husband and wife to describe his relationship with Israel, the adulterous spouse. Verse one, it says, Say ye unto your brethren Ammi and unto your sisters Ruhamah, Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her, uh, set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath dumbed shamefully. Welcome to church. I hope that you're having a great day while we're here. This is one of those passages that it seems like God is yelling. And I think that he is yelling because he's trying to get the people in Israel to turn around. Because they've missed their turn. Because they need guided. Now, in the context of what this is talking about, God talks, or the Bible talks about a husband, or inherently talks about a husband, which represents God. It talks about a wife or a mother, which represents Israel as the country. And then when it talks of children, it's going to be talking about the people of Israel. Now, you may say that the people of Israel and Israel sound like the same thing. Well, it's kind of like us. We talk about America as an entity. We will say America will protect her interests, or America has this stance on the world stage. But that is different than saying Americans, which represents us. So when we're talking in the Bible in this particular passage here, when it, <clears throat> excuse me, when it talks about the mother, it talks about Israel as the overall country, and it talks about children as the people. Now what I want to do to make this understand or more understandable, we're going to reread this, but we're going to take out the words mother or wife and replace them with Israel. We're going to take out the words children and replace them with the children of Israel. So let's read that again, chapter two, verses one through five. Say unto your brethren Ammi and unto your sisters Ruhamah, plead with Israel, plead, for Israel is not my wife, neither am I God her husband. Let Israel therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip Israel naked and set Israel as in the day that she was born and make Israel as a wilderness and set Israel like a dry land and slay her with thirst. And I will have no mercy upon the children of Israel. For the children of Israel are children of whoredoms. For Israel hath played the harlot. Israel, that uh, she that conceived them, hath done shamefully. And so when we read this, we ask, what does this all mean? God is relating to Israel and thus to us through the word. He is relating his relationship with these people because of their sins. He's relating that the relationship is broken. Notice what God said, I am not her, their husband and she is not my wife. And that is the first step in that cycle of restoration is that sin causes us to lose our relationship with God. And then it talks of whoredoms. It might say in some translations, adulteries. All that means is sin in two different aspects. Number one is general sin. General sin is just when we reject God. 
when we say, no, you are not God of my life, I am God of my life. That, that's, that's what general sin is. And in particular for Israel, what we'll see through Hosea is that the sin that they struggled with was idolatry, worshiping false gods. I went through my notes five times and they're upside down somehow. I don't know how that happened. Anyway, so God can, um, compares this relationship, him with a country or with a people that turn their back on him with the relationship between a husband and a cheating spouse. And he does that for two reasons. Number one is because most people understand the expectations between a husband and wife. Forsaking all lovers, others, being together forever, the love and honor and cherishing that should go on within a marriage. And because we can understand how um, those expectations are so high, we understand the magnitude of the betrayal of that relationship. And what God is saying to us and saying to Israel is, when you cheat on me, when you sin on me, it is the same as if your spouse was to cheat on you. And so the purpose that we have in this is God is trying to get his people to turn around. He wants them to turn away from their sins. As you read this, you see a very blunt God who's talking about judgment and punishment, and he talks about the wrath. But what is the purpose of his wrath? It's just like when that Yeti would yell at me on the GPS. God's wrath is not because he is angry. God, well, let me take that back. God's wrath is not because he hates you. God's wrath is not because he takes joy in punishing you. God's wrath on us is because he wants us to turn around, and he wants to restore our relationship with him. You know, sometimes I read the Bible, and, and especially when my life is not where it's supposed to be, it just, it, it seems to attack me. And, and you read parts of the Bible, it's like, man, God was angry there. God is going on these angry rants about how much sin hurts him. God, God is not angry. God does not love you less. God is shouting to get your attention. Turn around before something bad happens. Turn away from your sin before it consumes you. You see that he uses the word here, plead. I love that about this. And what we're going to see in this is God is pleading with his people. It says, plead to turn around, to change what you're doing. The fancy word for that is he's pleading with us to repent. It's a very churchy word, isn't it? Repent. You don't use it anywhere else in the English language, but we use it in church. All the word repent means is it's a very fancy word is decide to do it God's way. Turn away from doing it your way. Decide to do it God's way. And so our first take-home truth, if you're taking notes on your, on your uh, handout, is that God desires for us to repent from our sin. And somebody in here is going, now God wants me to be happy. Pretty sure that's what I was taught in Sunday school. God, God thinks that what I think is important is important. Now listen carefully. What God cares about is your holiness. God cares about your relationship with him. God cares about you being restored in that relationship. And happiness is a side effect of all of those things. God is not worried about what you want or what you think or what you like. He is worried about your connection with him. And that's not a popular thing for us to say. It's not popular for us to say, God wants you to change your ways. God wants you to repent of your sin and turn around and come back to him. That's not popular. We don't like to hear that. And I want to address this before we go any farther because I know good and well in a small Baptist church, this is where somebody got, that's right, Brian. People out there, they don't want to hear the truth. They won't come to church because they don't like being told to change. They, they, they don't want to know what God says about sexuality or homosexuality. They don't want to know what God says about how you should live. Listen, what I'm talking about is not an out there problem. I'm talking about an in here problem. Because what we tend to do 
is we tend to say people don't want to repent of their sin when their sins are ones that come easily to us or that we easily don't fall into. But when I, when I walk up to you and I want to address your gossip problem in this church, you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be called out for my gossip. When, when, when we talk about the Bible and it shines a light on how prideful we are, we don't want to hear that in here either. And God's saying to us through this scripture this morning, I'm pleading with you, our relationship is broken because of your sin. Turn around before something bad happens. And this is the heart of God. You can read the whole Bible and it all comes back to this one aspect of God. God wants you. God loves you. All he wants is for you to love him back, to turn away from the things that will hurt, hurt you. And the whole message of the gospel is just that. And so as, as God continues in Hosea chapter two here, it shows us the results of our sin. He says, I will turn this land into a naked and dry land. And that's very important for us. That doesn't seem very important. But Israel was an agricultural society. Every bit of wealth and luxury that they had in this country came from rain and being able to grow crops. And so what God threatens is if you will not turn around, all of your wealth and luxury, all of the aspects of your society can be taken from you as a punishment. Now, as I look at the relationship with God and Israel, I always want to look at that and I want to say, that's just like my relationship with God. I want to be very clear. Hosea chapter 2 is not about us, but it can, or it's not written about us, but it can be written to us. Where God says that sin is bad for Israel, God says that sin is bad for us. Where God tells Israel, turn around and repent, God tells us, turn around and repent just the same. And so here's some things that, that this tells me about our relationship with God. It tells me that my relationship, Brian's relationship with God is broken because of Brian's sin. And you can insert your own name into that. It, it tells me that God's desire is for me to turn my sin around, to turn away and repent of my sin. It tells me that continuing in my sin will, be, will equal a judgment of some sort. Put your own name in that. Because that's what the scripture says to you this morning. Is that God has a broken relationship with you. But he desires you and all he wants is for you to turn around. But listen carefully because I don't know he needs to heard this. If you're continuing in your sin this morning, very clearly what this shouts to us is there will be a judgment and there will be a punishment that will turn you around. As we hear things like that, we, we, tend, we tend to fight what the Holy Spirit will tell us. Because you may be sitting here and you're hearing a voice in your head and it's bringing that sin to your mind and you're arguing with it. I, I don't need to repent of that sin. I don't need to give that up. I'm not as bad as others. I go to church. Maybe, maybe I'm arguing that I don't really need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. But what that voice is trying to do is it is trying to protect you. And I can promise you one thing about God. If you continue to argue with that voice, if you continue to argue with the Holy Spirit that is trying to gently move you to repentance, there will be judgment in the future. There, there will be a punishment that God will use to turn you around. Let's continue to read here, starting in the middle of verse five. Continue to read what God says about his relationship with Israel. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up the, thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. 
and she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. This brings a part of maybe, maybe the biggest question in Christianity is, why do I sin? Why is sin so easy for us? What, what draws us into sin? And what we see here is, as, G, as God is talking about his wife Israel going after her lover's sin, it says the reason that Israel chased after this sin is because it offered her bread, water, wool, oil, and drink. I love what God's saying here is, is hey Israel, you ran away because you were enticed into sin. There, there was something that pulled you into sin that you wanted. Sin promised you something and you went chasing it. And this is something that's not often discussed, but let me just say this. Sin is attractive. Sin, sin is enticing. That does not sound like something you should say in church. It doesn't sound churchy. But, but we can't get rid of that because it doesn't sound like something that we would want to say in church because if we don't call out that sin is attractive and that sin will try to entice you, we miss the strategy of sin to destroy us. Sin's strategy is always to attract us and to destroy us. I've got a picture coming up here. This is called an anglerfish. Also called the black sea devil. Uh, looks friendly. Does anybody want that in their aquarium? It's kind of crazy. This anglerfish is found about a mile deep in the ocean. And if you see this thing, it's terrifying. Like, you would never want to be close to it. It's, it's so deep that you can't even get a good picture of it. They have some, but they're not good. So I've got a computer uh, representation of it. But, like, I'm not swimming close to that fish. And guess what? No other fish are going close to that fish either. But the anglerfish has a trick. See, when you're a mile deep in the ocean, the ocean is completely dark. It's completely black. And an anglerfish has a little antenna that hangs off of its forehead. And on the end of that antenna is a little glowing bulb. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I just assume it works like a lightning bulb. I'm not a scientist. We'll ask Lenita about that. But in the darkness, in the darkness of the ocean, what other fish see is they see that little bulb and it begins to glow in all the darkness and they're attracted to it. And they're curious. And it's enticing because in a world of darkness, light shines brightly. And so the fish will swim over to that bulb and they will check it out. And meanwhile, the anglerfish lowers that bulb right in front of its mouth. And the fish swim right to the fish so that it grabs them. It's crazy. But that is a perfect picture of sin. If you could really truly see your sin... If you could really see the causes of your sin, you would run away screaming because it is ugly and you can tell its purpose is not to make you happy. Its purpose is to devour you. But what sin does is it hides behind a cloud of darkness and it hangs a little bait out there. And it draws you to it so that it can grab you and uh, so that it can entice you and grab you and devour you. Our next take on truth is sin will bait you into your own destruction. Somewhere there is a man or a woman this morning sitting in a living room alone because they were enticed by another man or woman who was not their husband or their wife and they had an affair. And they're sitting alone in a room right now, lost their whole family. And you know what they're thinking? They may not put it in biblical terms, but you know what they're thinking when they feel that loneliness? They're thinking, I wish I hadn't taken the bait. Somewhere there is somebody waking up right now at 11.35 and they're hungover because they don't know how to get rid of the alcohol in their life 
and they're stumbling into the kitchen because the only thing they know to do to make the pain stop is to go get another drink. And it started with a concept that this will be fun, that this will enhance my life. But you know what they're thinking as they pour that drink right now? They're thinking, I wish I, wish I hadn't taken the bait because this is not what I bargained for. Prisons are full of people right now that thought that they could sell drugs or commit a crime, that that would give them money, that that would give them happiness. And they sit in a jail cell this morning thinking, I wish I hadn't taken the bait. Somewhere somebody's sitting right now and they've destroyed their relationships with their own pride. And they thought everybody will like me and everybody will respect me if I know more than everybody else. If I show them how much smarter they am, than I, that I am than them, if I treat them poorly, if only people knew how smart and how perfect I was, they would love me. But it turns out that they destroyed their relationships and they're sitting around thinking right now, I wish I hadn't taken the bait. Sin is enticing. But let me warn us, let me warn myself and our church, this is the blueprint sin works, is it wants to destroy you. A well-known uh, biblical teacher uh, said this quote, it says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. The person who said that quote died about a year ago. He had a worldwide ministry Thousands of people came to Christ because of his teachings, because of his apologetics. But after his death, it, it began to surface that he was a serial sex addict and that his sin had taken him so deep that he would go and preach Jesus in a place and that he would abuse young ladies after that. You say, well, what kind of a man can talk about Jesus and say a quote like that, living a life that is that bad? Let me tell you what kind of man that can do that. A man with experience in sin capturing you and destroying your life. I'm not going to use his name because I'm not going to dishonor anybody even though we know that that's wrong. But I just want you to know that, that this man ruined a lifetime of ministry, shook the faith of thousands of people who came to know Jesus because he fell for the bait. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. But when we interject God into this situation, that is not what he wants for us. Verse 6 says, I will hedge up their way with thorns. And what that means is that when we try to go down the wrong path, God will try to guide us with hedges of thorns. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, how is he going to block my path with thorns? What's the point of that? And as I was studying this this week, I was thinking, uh, do you guys know what those holly bushes are? Like, they're, they're green and they got the little red berries and the leaves of death on them. Like when I was little, I had a family member that had these and we'd be outside playing, we'd be kicking the soccer ball or, or catching a football or something and you'd trip and you'd fall in that bush. Like, ah, why would anybody put this on their property? This is horrible. Why would they put this here? And I never knew until a few months ago, a lady that I work with, we were talking about that. And she said, well, the reason I had those is when my children were little and our windows didn't lock very well, I planted those in front of the windows so that people wouldn't try to crawl through them. Because the harder you push into one of those thorn bushes, into a holly bush, the harder you push, the worse it's going to hurt. And what God says here is that he will roadblock his people with thorn bushes. And what that means is the harder we push to go down a path that he doesn't want us to go down to, the more it will hurt us 
It's not God hurting us. God is putting a deterrent in our way to keep us from going down a path. And you may be sitting here today and you may be going down a path and the harder you push, it seems like it just causes more and more pain. Listen, that is God trying to redirect you off the path that you're on to be on the path that he wants. Maybe it's a job that you want really bad. I really want that job. It comes with some cost. I'll have to neglect my family, but I really want that job. But every time you push into that job and you apply for it, somehow it hurts you. Maybe it's a relationship. I really want to date that person. I really want to be with them. I really want that to be my friend. But for some reason, that relationship keeps causing you pain again and again and again. Maybe you find yourself drifting from church and and fellowship with other Christians. Maybe you're chasing something else, but you keep finding that the more I do this, the more it hurts me in some way. Listen, God is trying to redirect you back to the path that he wants you on. And he does this because he loves you. It it leads us to the second half of verse seven. Listen to this. Put thorn bushes in the way. Second half of verse seven. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than it is now. So we see this this loving God that will put obstacles in our way. He will allow hardship and judgment come on to us for the purpose of what? For the purpose of us coming to a point where we say, this isn't what I thought it would be. This hurts. Let me return to God. I will return to his goodness. And this is what God puts hardship in our way for because we can compare our pain and our suffering in sin to the goodness of God. And it doesn't take a whole lot, it doesn't take a whole lot of smarts to know this thing hurts me and this thing blesses me. Which one do I choose? Some of you guys are married and said, I picked the thing that hurts me. <laughs> like like we, we, we are so, so silly that we keep pushing into things that hurt us when we can have the goodness of God, but we have to be able to recognize the goodness of God. And I had somebody ask me a while back, I was talking to him about Jesus, and, and he said something. He said, why does this happen in the world if God is good and loving? And it's a question you get from a lot of unbelievers. And I didn't have an answer for him, but I, I know now that in a world where you can choose to go one direction or the other, God is okay with you being hurt by the bad direction if it turns you around and brings you back to him. He wants to be recognized for his goodness. And sometimes the only way we recognize goodness is when we live without it. Our next take-home truth is God will use hardship to help us recognize his goodness. And you know what? I think that's the key of salvation. I didn't say that's how you get saved, but I think that's the key of salvation. It's when we get to a point where we compare sin and we have a good look at sin and it looks like that ugly old fish we just had and then we look at the goodness of God and we say, I can continue to live my life in sin, taking the bait and being devoured or I can have the blessings of God. It makes it easy for us to choose God. And if we're sitting here and we're arguing with God about our need for salvation, the reason is is because we are enticed by that little glowing light in the darkness that makes us think that there's something good when it only devours us. So we come, we come to salvation when we say, I'd rather have God than the bait. I'd rather have, have God than the destruction. And that is when we beg for mercy and we repent. And if that is you this morning, there's some of us that sit here every week and we struggle with salvation. I know God is calling me to be saved. I know I need his mercy. I know I need his grace, but I fight it because I don't want to give in. Let me just tell you, there is no comparison. From somebody who's on the other side, 
There is no comparison from the life that you will leave to the life that God will give you. And I can prove that with scripture. Listen closely. Let's read verse seven again and we're gonna finish up through verse 13. This is how God compares himself to sin. Uh, Verse seven. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I, that's God speaking, that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will, re- and will recover my wool and flax given to cover her nakedness. And now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause all of her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers, and she forgot me, saith the Lord. So there's, there's this shocking comparison that God gives us here. And the shocking comparison is, is here's what sin entices you with. But, but let me tell you what I give you. And so what sin enticed us with back in verse six is said that sin would entice her away from God with bread and water and wool and oil and drink. Cheap trinkets. Three of those things you can get in any prison in the world. Bread and water. It's like a punishment but yet it said Israel was pulled away and enticed by those things. But when you compare what you gave up with God to chase those things, look what God says he gave you. Corn, wine, and oil. Okay, not that important. But listen, silver and gold. How dumb are we in the world when we're given a choice? You can have God's silver and gold or you can chase the bread and water that sin will give you. I'll take the bread and water, please. How dumb are we that we get uh, suckered into that, that, that sin makes us make the choice and we go the wrong direction. You can have God or you can have the sin. You can have bait or you can have the blessings. But listen, you can't have both. And the whole purpose of what God is saying in this is he is telling Israel, you can't have both because Israel wanted both. They lived in great abundance, but they misused this abundance, not understanding that it was blessings from God. Does that sound familiar to you? People who live in great abundance, not understanding that it is a blessing from God and they misuse it. In the case of Israel, they misused the things that God gave them by sacrificing to Baal. And if you're unfamiliar with Baal, Baal was a popular uh, Mesopotamian God that the Israelites often worshiped for whatever reason. And they would take the things that God had given them and use them to serve this false God. How, how disrespectful is that? Men, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. I'm gonna pause and let that sink in and I'm gonna say it again. Men, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. You need to know that. Ladies, they can't say I didn't warn them, okay? Now imagine with me, let's just, let's just track down the situation. Like, men, you love your wives. Not a single amen. We need to have a marriage series coming up. So men, you love your wives, right? And you're like, this Valentine's Day, I'm going all out. I'm going to do it all. And so you're going to Walmart tonight. You're going to the expensive jewelry stores. You're like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the chocolates and here's the flowers, but that's not enough. 
Here's a diamond necklace. I'm gonna buy that for my wife. She'll love that, but that's not enough. I love her so much. Babe, here's a certificate for a, a massage. Go get a massage and relax. All the ladies are pe- pepping up, and my wife is getting excited over there. She thinks this is true of her. It's not. Babe, here, here's $1,000. Go to your favorite stores and buy all of the clothes that you want. I love you so, so much. I'm gonna give you all of this. Just, I just wanna shower you with love, and I wanna shower you with blessings because you are so special and important to me. And, and man, you come home the next day, and here comes your wife walking down the hallway. She's got her diamond necklace on. Her hair's all made up. She's got that new dress. And you're like, I married that. That's my wife. And man, that is always how you respond to your women. Even if it's first thing in the morning, their breast stings and their hair's all a mess and all that. Like, that's my wife. Yes. Man, she's hot. And you're like, so excited. Babe, what are you all dressed up for? Are we going to go do something special? Did you do all this for me? And she said, oh, I just felt so special and so pretty and so loved. I I wanted to get dressed up while I go on a date with the guy I'm cheating on you with. I see some chuckling, but that's what God's saying about when we use the things that he gave us to worship other things. Our next take home truth, if, if the gifts God gives you distract you from him, he will take them back. And you're sitting there thinking, Brian, I've never heard of Baal, much less worshiped him. That's true. I don't think there's any bell worshipers in here, but I guarantee you, I promise you, there are idol worshipers in this room. No, I would never never take a tiki pole and pray to it. That's not what I'm talking about. An idol is anything that distracts you from God. And sometimes we worship the God of success. We take a talent that God gave us. We take blessings that he gave us, whether that's intelligence or our ability to get to know people, our ability to make relationships. We take those and we use it for our own lives. And then we tell God, I don't have time to serve in your church. I don't have time to do things for you. I'm too busy over here climbing the ladder. I don't have time to do that, even though you gave me the blessings. Oh, this one hurts. I think a lot of us worship the God of possessions and money. And we got goals. Everybody in here has goals financially. I'm going to get the better job. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to buy the bigger house. I'm going to buy the nicer car. I'm putting back for retirement. I'm going to live in Florida. I'm never seeing this place again. Like I am working in my life. And we see all of that blessing of financial uh, prosperity that God has given us. But I don't have time to give money back to God. Well, God, I could tithe, but then, then, then that would really set my retirement back. I can't have the newest iPhone if I'm giving sacrificially. And you guys are sitting here going, well, it's a good thing I'm not rich. You are so rich. The poorest person in this room is richer than 75% of the people in the world. But I don't have any extra money for God, even though he provided it for me, even though he gave it for me. Some of us worship the idol of power and fame and we refuse to surrender our life to God because if I give my life to God, that means I won't be in control and it won't be about me. Now listen carefully. If any of those or anything like that explains you, God will not let you use the blessings he gives you to chase your own gods. He will take them away. He will remove obstacles. He can take away that job that you've worked so hard for. He can change your financial uh, position in an instance. He can take away control over your life. Everybody in here is one doctor's call away from living in a different world. It can change today. You may have the voicemail on your phone right now that says it's all taken away from you. 
because God will remove anything that gets in the way of you coming back to him. And we may read that and think, man, God is mean. God is mean. Why would he, why would he do this? I'm a good enough person. I'm better than them, the person that sits next to me at work. Why, why would God do this to me over my little old sin? Well, first off, there is no such thing as a little sin. But here is God's greatest heart. Verse one, he pleads for you to turn away from your sin. Verse seven, he will guide you with hedges. And then verse 10, he says, no one will take them out of my hand. He will not give you up. He loves you so much. He will stop at nothing for you to return to him, including coming to this earth and taking on a human body. Just think about that for a second. We say Jesus came here. Yeah, Jesus came here. He went from being God of the universe to living in one of these things. I have a dislocated rib. I don't even know how that happens, my friend told me this week. My ankle hurts all the time. I'm scared to death of COVID. Jesus came into this world to live in a body like this one because he loves you. And then he went through the most excruciating thing a human can ever go through, being crucified, so that he could give you an opportunity to return to him. We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves and what we do and what we don't do, but this is what I want you to know today, is your restoration, your ability to rebuild your relationship with God is not up to you. Your ability to rebuild your relationship with God comes only because he loved you enough to sacrifice himself for you. And this morning, if you're sitting here and you're saying, Brian, that that sin is mine. I don't want to admit it, but it's mine. If you're struggling with coming to him for the first time, if you're struggling with giving your life to him, the only way you can be restored is not by good works. It's not by being the best person at work. It's not by coming to church more. The only way you can be restored is by putting your faith in him, asking for his mercy and repenting of your sin. That's what he asks of us. And if today you have something in your life you need to give up, maybe it's for the first time you need to come to know Jesus Christ. Or if if you need to give up that secret sin that you think nobody knows about, but God has just been screaming at you like that Yeti GPS all morning, this is open to you. I would love to pray with you and tell you how to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to love you through whatever you're struggling with. The only thing I ask is do not leave here the same as you walked in this morning. Please stand.